You're listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast, recorded from the Everstwar Chapel Fine Arts Center in Mishawaka, Indiana. Thanks for listening. Well, what's, what's good this morning, Bethel? Man, I feel like I'm, I'm surfing up here. This is, I've never surfed a day in my life, so... I like swimming pools. Oceans are just pools that try to kill you. So I stay in swimming pools, and it's good to be back. This is my third or fourth time being back at Bethel. It's always good to be in the house, be with y'all this morning. I was laughing at that first picture that popped up on the screen. It's a little outdated. Um, And actually, one of Uh, The members that attends the church where I have the privilege of pastoring, she came to me a couple of months ago and said, I heard you're going to be speaking in chapel again. I said, yeah. She said, I saw your picture on the chapel lineup, and she began to laugh at my picture, y'all. So professors of Bethel, y'all got to do better (laughs) with teaching these young ones how to treat their pastors. You know what I'm saying? But she did bring me a coffee this morning, so all is well in Jesus' name. We are here. We're going to be in the book of Romans this morning, so if you have a copy of God's Word, I just feel like I want to warm us up with the gospel this morning. It's cold outside, and for all y'all that cheered for snow tomorrow, y'all are sick and you need Jesus. So I'm praying that you meet him in a sermon this morning. (laughs) We're going to be in Romans chapter 5 this morning as we just remind ourselves together all of what Jesus Christ has done for you and I and how helpless we were if it weren't for Jesus Christ. So let's let's just indeed, let's warm ourselves up with the gospel. Let's look at Romans chapter 5 and begin at verse 6. It says this, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more? Having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have now received this reconciliation. Would you pray with me this morning and ask the Lord for his help as he speaks to us through his this holy word. Lord, we need your help this morning. 
We need to be reminded that there is no God like our God. We need to be reminded that there is no Savior like Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded that though we were far off, you, you came and you rescued us. As we just sang, you came into our Egypt and you grabbed us by the hand and you pulled us out. Glory be to your name. Remind us this morning, O oh Lord, because we so often forget. In the midst of an approval society, we often think, oh God, that we have to prove ourselves to you. When Jesus Christ has done that on our behalf. So remind us, and then remind us again, and then remind us again. We pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Let me just, for all of y'all that's going to fall asleep 10 minutes into my sermon, let, let me just shrink wrap everything I'm getting ready to say in the entirety of the sermon like this. If God loved us while you and I were completely engulfed in our sins, if God loved us while we were completely engulfed in our sins, what makes us think he will stop loving us while he is working through our sins. Let me put it another way. If God loved us when we, you and I, were a hot mess, what makes us think that God will stop loving us when we're just like, a, I don't know, a, a lukewarm mess? This is where Romans chapter 5 picks up. And over and over again, the writer of Scripture is going to tell us that our God is a God who loves the unlovely. If you're wondering who the unlovely is, that's, that's, that's me. That, that's you and I. That God pursues those who would never pursue him, and he captures and redeems our hearts. This love of God, Bethel, is completely unmerited. This is what it says in, in verse 6. Verse 6 describes us, y'all, in four different ways. And spoiler alert, these are not like good ways that verse 6 describes us. They're not flattering ways. The text calls us powerless, calls us ungodly, calls us sinners, and calls us enemies. That's how the Bible describes you and I. We are sinners, we are powerless, we are ungodly, and we are enemies. That's how the Bible describes us. And yet, we have a whole text of Scripture that tells us everything God has done for us. What Paul is saying is that God's love for you and I as we stand in the middle of our mess, is totally unmotivated by anything in us. And because God's love is totally unmotivated and unmerited by anything in us, it can never be demerited by anything in us. 
If you didn't earn the love of God and he just lavished it upon you, what makes us think that we can somehow now, quote unquote, unearn the love of God? This is why Paul goes through great lengths to tell us that God's love and a continuation of his love, listen to me, Bethel, is not dependent on us. It is dependent on the unchangeable nature of who God is. Since God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, his love that he has placed on his people will remain. This is why Paul is going to say later, later, like, what can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Think, get your collective minds together and think about anything in all of creation and nothing is able to separate you and I from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Bethel, this is good news. And it's good news because, man, if I didn't earn the love of God, if God just showed up in my Egypt one day and rescued me, not because of anything I have done, but because God looked at me, had compassion upon me, and redeemed me, then that means that God loves me just because he loves me. God doesn't love me because Stephen is good at X. God doesn't love me because Stephen graduated from Y. God doesn't love me because Stephen came from a family of whatever letter, Z. I'm running out of letters here. God doesn't love me because of anything that is based in me. God loves me, Bethel, because he loves me. And God loves you simply because he loves you. Nothing in you deserves the love of God, and yet he lavishes it upon you anyway. And that means today, tomorrow, next week, a year from now, God's love for his people will remain the same. That's what verse 6 is saying. Now, verse 7 goes on in Romans chapter 5, and in case there was somebody in the room this size as this letter was read to the church who began to think of themselves more highly than they ought to think of themselves, Paul gives a practical example in verse 7. And as we read verse 7, let me give you another spoiler alert. You and I are not the just or good ones. Our example doesn't show up until verse 8. Let me summarize verse 7 for you. Looking at your text, let me summarize. Paul says someone might die for a just person. Like for a righteous person, you might be able to find somebody who will say, yes, I will give my life for that person. Why? Because you're just, you're righteous. You have done nothing wrong. You're good in and of yourself. Paul says someone might die if you're completely righteous. They might take your place and die for you. Then he goes on to say, in my vernacular, your mama might die for you if you're just good. See, somebody might die for you if you're righteous. There's only a select amount of people who will die for you if you're just good. But then he goes on. Because you and I aren't either. We aren't just and we're not good. So the question that rises from the surface is, who will die for us? 
if we're not just, if we're not righteous, if we haven't done everything right in our lives, if we're not good, then who will die for us? In other words, Paul says that like if just and good were handing out participation trophies, not winning trophies, participation trophies, because everybody gets a trophy nowadays, right? Like you walk to the game, you get a trophy. Like, why did I get the trophy? Oh, you just showed up to the game. Oh, awesome. If Justin Good were handing out participation trophies and everybody gets a trophy, you and I would not get a trophy. We're not included in that category. Paul says we were wretched, we were despised, we were filthy, we were dead. And yet, and yet, God loves us anyway. There is, listen, there is no one else. There is no one else who loves us like God loves us. There is no one else who will see us in our state and love us like God loves us. But he loves us. Why? Man, with all the collective intelligence in this room, like the best answer we probably can come up with is like, he just loves us. He just desires us. He desires the unlovely. He loves the unlovely. And not only does he love us, Paul says in verse 8 that God proves his love to us. God proves his love by sending his son. Listen to me, Bethel. This should be the only proof of God's love that you and I ever need. The only proof we should ever need is that we have seen Jesus Christ hanging upon a cross, not ourselves. He died in our place, was resurrected from the grave on our behalf. That should be the only proof we ever need. So we shouldn't go to God with proposals like, God, if you love me, I'm going to get an A in this class. God's like, do the work, you'll get an A. It's not based on my love. God, if you love me, Oh, if you really love me, this, this girl that I'm looking at, this boy that I'm looking at, they will just magically fall in love with me. Those who laugh, that was a laugh of affirmation. They're praying that prayer right now as we speak. God, if you love me, you will, you will give me this job when I graduate. God, prove your love for me. Do X for me. And God is standing back and saying, look at what I've done for you. I've sent my only son who was spotless, who was blameless, the righteous lamb, and he died in your place. And Paul says that is the proof of God's love for you. May we we never require any other proof of God's love for us. And man, this is God's like condescension. This is God like lowering himself to us. Paul says he proves himself to us. I grew up in a household where my parents used to always say to me, boy, I ain't got to prove nothing to you. I grew up in a household where we used to get what they call whoopings. I don't know if anybody grew up (laughs) in one of those households. If if any of y'all know the number to DCS, you can call them on my parents at any time. I think it's kind of retroactive. They need somebody to call somebody on them. So I grew up in that household, and I'd be so mad after I get one of these, like, 
intense moments of fellowship or whoopings, right? They, they, would, they would give to me, and I would look at my parents and say, y'all don't love me. They'd be like, yeah, we love you. I'll say, prove it. <laughs> and they would say, boy, we ain't got to prove nothing to you. And this is, this is, I mean, it's accurate. After all they've done, I mean, they really have nothing to prove to us, but, but God says that he's not like my parents. He actually lowers himself and proves his love to you and I by sending his son, Jesus Christ. But notice if you're reading your text, in verse 8, it doesn't say God proved past tense. It says God proves present active. He keeps taking us back to what his son has done for us. Every day we have to remind ourselves that I am alive, I am a part of God's family because Christ took my place. I am redeemed, named by God because Christ took my place. I am free from sin because Christ took my place. I can call out to the name of Jesus because Christ took my place. I have victory over all my sins because Jesus Christ took my place. I am not condemned by the adversary because Christ took my place. If I do sin, I can run back to the Father again and again because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Why? Because Christ took my place. This is not just a past action that has no implications for today. Jesus Christ dying on the cross is a past action, but you have better believe. It is relevant right now. It is relevant for your life right now. The fact that Christ went to the cross means that you and I can now be accepted by the Father. The fact that Christ went to the cross means that God does not strike us down in his wrath. Why? Because Christ took all of our sins upon himself on the cross. And when did he do this? When did Christ do this? Well, Paul makes it clear. He did this while we were still sinning against him. While we were still rebelling against him, while we were still hating him, while we were still yelling out like the crowd, give us Barabbas! Give us anybody but Jesus. He died for you and I at the very moment that we hated him. One, one commentator says this, get this. Christ is the only groom that walks down the aisle while his betrothed is cheating on him. Knowing that his wife will cheat on him after they're married, and he still marries us. Who else does that but Jesus? If you got some spare time in the midst of all your studies, just, just, just take a look at the book of Hosea. Just like read that through. And, and read the account of a man who keeps pursuing a woman who keeps running away from him. And he has to go win her back. And he has to go win her back. This is what Jesus Christ does for you and I. He died while we were cheating on him, and he still marries us. He still pursues us. It is the unmerited love of God. It's not only not merited, 
But God's love gets gooder and gooder. It increases and increases. Notice verse 9 through 10. It's, it's a glorious grouping that Paul puts together here, and it cannot be divided. For Paul is using in verses 9 through 10 an argument from, from greater to lesser. Paul is saying, if this is true, then man, like this will definitely be true. Notice what verse 9 says, how much more than, how much more than, do you hear that argument? How much more than? Since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from his wrath? For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Paul is making an argument that if Christ saved us while we were a hot mess, how much more... Now that he is working on us, sanctifying us, how much more then does he now love us? I remember my first, my first car. Anybody here driving their first car? My first car was trash. I don't know about y'all. Y'all might have balling families. I didn't come from a balling family. My first car was trash. Every time you open a doorknob, doorknob fall off the car, you would have to come to a stoplight and press the gas and the brake simultaneously so the car doesn't stop. Anybody been there? Am I the only broke one in this room? Right? The car would like jerk at the stoplight and you would turn on some music just to make people think that you're rocking out, but you're really trying to just keep the car from not stopping on you. Right? That's the car I drove. My parents were like, here, here, Stephen. Here it is. Here's your first car. I walked outside like, ooh, what they give me, a Beamer? Is it a Lexus? I walked outside, it was trash. But y'all, I loved that car. It was my first car. I loved it. Man, I could, I could drive myself to and from high school, and whoever had a car in high school was king. Drive myself, we would go to McDonald's on lunch break at high school. Man, I, was, I loved that car. So what I did was, since I loved it, I began to fix it up over time. I began to put some tires on it that weren't ball-headed like me, right? Tires that actually had traction in the snow for all you snow lovers in the room, right? I began to put new handles on the door. I put like this old school Bluetooth radio in it. Y'all don't know what that is, but it's like a cassette tape that you plug into your device and then you put that cassette tape into the stereo. It was mind blowing, mind blowing, right? I put that in the car, y'all, I, I was set. So one day after I did all this work on the car, I stepped back and I was like, man, that's my car. I love that car. Bethel, this is the argument that Paul is making here. When Christ found us, we were a hot mess. <laughs> I mean, sin had caused the doorknobs of our lives to just fall off every time it rubbed up against something. We had no traction in our lives because of our sin. And guess what Christ did when he saw you and I because of his sacrifice? He said, man, look at Stephen, man. He's a hot mess, but I love him. And then over time, because of his work, he began to root out some sin in me, pull out some sin in me. He began to give me some power to say no to the same sin that kept me in bondage for 20 plus years. 
He began to give me a desire that grew over time to look at Jesus and see how beautiful he is. And now because of that, Paul says that Jesus Christ stand back and said, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I really love him now. This is the how much more than argument that Paul is making, Bethel, in Romans chapter 5. How much more? If Christ found you like that, now that he is working on you, how much more does he love you? So we can't begin to think like, like Jesus, like you found me when I was a hot mess. I was dealing with all of these things and you rescued me and you fast forward a couple of years and maybe some of those days you're still struggling with some of those sins. You cannot begin to think that Jesus Christ and his great loving kindness has now lowered his affection towards you. No, beloved, he has not. How much more does he love you? He saved you, but, but now that you have been rescued from the wrath of God, how much more does he love you? Notice verse 10. All of this, all of this happens because of the life of Christ. You can't miss this. Like All of this takes place because Jesus Christ came, he lived the perfect life, he died the perfect death, and he rose from the grave. We get all of the righteousness that Christ got on earth. Theologians call this the great exchange on the cross. Jesus Christ is on the cross, we give him all of our sin, and he gives us all of his righteousness. What a deal that is. <laughs> like, here you go, Jesus. Take all my mess. Take all my trash. Take all my shame. Take all my guilt. And Jesus Christ says, in exchange for all those things, you get my righteousness. This is why, if you remember that scene with John the Baptist, where John the Baptist was like, Jesus, I can't baptize you. And Jesus said, yeah, you're going to baptize me. And you must do this to fulfill all righteousness. Guess what? You and I get all righteousness. So now God looks at us and he sees the life of his son. He sees the perfect, spotless lamb of God who gave himself for us. So listen, beloved, when we stand before God, when we pray to God, when we kneel to God, when we sing to God, all of our worship, all of our praise is accepted before God. Not because you can hold a tune. God knows I can't. I try. Not because of that. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. He looks at you. He looks at Stephen and says, man, you hear how good he sounds? I know the people behind me weren't saying that, but I don't care about them. Like God says that. That good he sounds? Why? Because Jesus Christ has made it acceptable in his life. Let me end like this. Oftentimes when you hear a sermon, like some of y'all are probably in like maybe a preaching class and they, they'll tell you that you should give application points. Okay, like what do we do now? 
We, we've heard of the unmerited and increasing love of God. We, we heard that God loves the unlovely. Okay, like, what do we do now? How do we stay inside of this love? Like, what do I have to do? I love how Paul ends this section in verse 11. You know what we do? We boast. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Like the job of the Christian now for the remainder of your days is to rejoice that you have been saved by the life of Jesus Christ. Is to boast in God. Like, look at my God. Look at my Savior. Look at how marvelous he is. Look at how glorious he is. Look at how he saves sinners just like me. All we have to do, Bethel, is simply rejoice. We rejoice. So don't leave this chapel thinking, oh, man, I got to do something. The love of God is so good. I have to dot my I's and cross my T's. I have to do this or do that in order to stay inside the love of God. Hear me. Christ has taken care of that for you. Just rejoice in him. Like one of the greatest things you can do today is go before Jesus and just give him glory. That you are alive and you are redeemed and he knows your name. Would you pray with me? It really is an amazing thought, God. That you would see me in all of my brokenness and you would still love me. It really is an amazing thought that you would love me but that your love doesn't stay stagnant. But it keeps growing and growing and growing. How great is your love towards your people. Indeed, Lord, we rejoice because we were once not a people, but now we are a people. We rejoice because once we were far off, but now we have been brought near. We rejoice because once we were dead, but now we have been made alive through the blood of Jesus Christ. So remind us and remind us and remind us again, Lord, of your glory and your kindness toward us. Lord, you are good. Bless your holy name. We pray all these things in the name of the one who is king, who is Lord, who is savior, who is mine. It's Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and get more information at chapel.betheluniversity.edu or check us out on the iTunes Store by searching for Bethel University Chapel.